Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest edition of Seattle Nice, the Woodland Park edition. I'm David Hyde, a reporter for Seattle's award-winning radio station, KUOW. She's the editor and publisher of Publicola Intermittent Gardener, Erica C. Barnett. Hi, Erica. Hey, David. And he is a political consultant or a political gadfly, if you look at Twitter at all. Sandeep Kaushik. Hi, Sandeep. Hello. Sandeep, how did you how did you become a gadfly? Like, what's your uh, gadfly origin story? Uh, my gadfly origin story. Well, let's see. Um, I moved to Seattle 20 years ago. Grew up on the East Coast. Uh, you know, um, went to Reed College where I got a healthy dose kind of early on in the in the 80s of um, left uh, progressive countercultural life and then have lived in Seattle for 20 years and watched the political transformation here uh, and to some extent have become alienated from where some of that has gone. So if my heterodoxy from, you know, a straitjacket conformity to the, you know, to the narrow ideological tribalism of the Seattle left makes me a gadfly, then, uh, you know, I, I, I embrace the label. All right. I'll get you the T-shirt then for your birthday. <laughs> yeah. The city of Seattle calls Woodland Park an exciting multi-purpose park and recreation space. But if you never read Erica on Publicola and only get your news from TV, you'll know that that excitement turned to terror recently. And I'm being sarcastic here. As Green Lake walkers and joggers were confronted by a fairly large homeless encampment that at one point kind of bled over into the edges of Green Lake where people do like to walk and jog. This week, the city of Seattle celebrated its removal of that encampment. So before we get into what's wrong with that celebration, you know, what's right about it? Is there anything good to see here? Erica C. Barnett. Yeah, I mean, they got uh, a lot of people into tiny houses, uh, primarily. So it's a very desirable form of shelter. Um, the city says that they made 89 referrals into shelter. Um, of course, that doesn't mean that the, all those folks actually showed up at shelter or stayed there for any long period of time. But I mean, they made a ton of tiny house village uh, beds available by sort of scrambling at the last minute. And people do tend to um, like those uh, types of shelters. They tend to stay there. Um, and so, I mean, the, the end result and, you know, one possible headline is, you know, a bunch of people who were otherwise living in tents got sheltered. Um, not housing. There were four people that were um, given referrals to permanent supportive housing. So uh, it's not like a huge um, success on that front. But I mean, the, the the bottom line or one of the bottom lines is that people are sheltered who were not sheltered before the city um, did this, uh, th these kind of months of outreach that they did before uh, removing this encampment. Okay. But I know both of you are sometimes critical of things that the city does. Any Any issues here about the coverage or this celebration for either of you? First of all, I, I don't uh, begrudge city officials, the mayor, uh, council member Dan, Dan Strauss, who represents that district, which by the way is, is my district. I live in Finney Ridge, just up the, uh, up the hill from, from, uh, Woodland Park and Green Lake. Um, I, I don't begrudge them taking a, a, a victory lap. I, it, it is, uh, a tangible kind of sign of progress that this very large and somewhat problematic encampment in Woodland Park. And you can go back and read 
you know, there was a Seattle Times story six or eight months ago, I think more focused on the sort of Green Lake side of that sort of mega encampment where, you know, campers themselves were saying um, they were, uh, you know, that there were, there were crime issues in the encampment, that their own stuff was being stolen, you know. So there were definitely kind of kind of issues around this Woodland Park encampment. And Erica, as you wrote, there was an incident just in the last week that helped precipitate the 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 move to do this of where a outreach worker was 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 threatened or 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 menaced. So so yeah, the fact that people were brought inside, um the encampment was shut down and um the track record shows that when people move into tiny home villages, we see a decline in the kind of problematic or antisocial or sometimes criminal sort of incidents that are sometimes associated with with encampments when those people come inside that goes away so yeah that's good that's good and 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 it was here an example of what months of intensive outreach um can accomplish in a positive way so that's all good i think they're right to kind of take a victory lap over that yeah, and I would say uh, on the on the kind of uh, negative side or to respond to the idea that this was the result of months and months of outreach, as I said, they did do outreach for months and months. The majority of people who ended up actually being sheltered because of this or getting referrals to shelter um, got those referrals in the last week um, or so of the encampment's existence, um, in large part because of that event, which uh, we were the only ones to report on. I'm surprised TV news didn't seize on this, frankly, but uh, but an outreach worker was threatened with a gun. Um, the city decided, uh, well, at first they talked about just shutting it down, like immediately, like, let's just get everybody out of there. Um, cooler heads prevailed, and all of a sudden, you know, one uh, volunteer told me that tiny houses were raining from the sky all of a sudden. And so that was the difference. They could have, at any point in this encampment's existence, made that happen because it, all it was was they told, you know, Sharon Lee, they told that the head of the tiny house village organization, you know, open up tiny house villages, p- put people into permanent housing more quickly so we can have some vacancies, hold all your tiny house villages for this one encampment in Northwest Seattle. And, um, and that's what made it happen. And so you have to ask, okay, like, A, could they have done that much sooner? I, I think that they probably could have. B, um, since they ended up giving shelter offers to everyone and they were kind of indiscriminately the same kind of shelter, um, how sort of bespoke and person-centered and individualized was this outreach, you know, when, when the result was just like, here, tiny houses for everybody. Um, and C, uh, and lastly, you know, this was uh, the prioritization of one encampment over thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of other people living unsheltered in the city. And um, on my way to this encampment removal or to the celebration, rather, um, I passed by a sweep that was happening um, just a mile away in Ballard. And, uh, you know, sort of the dregs of the sweep where there were piles of tents and tons of cops uh, surrounding this this one, you know, straggler who was still there. So um, it's not as if it's not as if this end sweeps in the city and it's not as if uh, this would be possible if they hadn't decided to, you know, focus intensely on this encampment to the exclusion of others. Well, I think, Erica, you're making a, a pretty compelling argument that we should be building, building a shitload more tiny home villages really fast. I think I mean, we should I, be. Yeah, right. Um, because, <laughs> I mean, as you and I know, the, the reason tiny homes were sort of raining from the sky, as you put it, was that um, – uh, a tiny home village that had been constructed but not um, operationalized down um, down on on Rainier, um, and that had been caught up in the sort of political tug of war, 
uh, was actually then kind of funded and allowed to come online. And even though only a small number of people actually went directly to that village, it opened up some uh, additional capacity that allowed them to then kind of kind of bring up those people inside. And so, uh, you know, this is a big, big argument, I think, within the homeless uh, services and provider community, right? And And it's spilling over outside is, where should we direct our resources and should the emphasis be on building more, you know, kind of, kind of housing, right? And, and the kind of housing, permanent supportive housing that's comes with wraparound services for the, the, you know, that, that are catered to sort of the chronically homeless or people that are the, the most impaired. Or should we be putting more emphasis on creating kind of enhanced shelters like tiny home villages or hotel rooms so that we can move faster on cleaning up encampments. And I think uh, if that's your goal to get people out of problematic encampments and inside, there probably does have to be, at least in the short to midterm, more emphasis on that kind of tiny home shelter side. But it's controversial. Well, it's controversial in the sense that, you know, there's um, there's limited resources. So the, the debate between whether to do shelter or housing is always controversial. Um, Mark Dones, the head of the uh, King County Regional Authority, Homelessness Authority, um, actually had a really good quote this week. I couldn't figure out how to fit it into a story. But he said, you know, we don't want to become New York City where you have, uh, you know, less unsheltered homelessness, but, you know, thousands and thousands of people just in endlessly and infinitely sitting in shelters. Um, and, you know, he said, he said, it's like, you know, we have, uh, we're, we're building, we're building more, uh, boy, I wish I could remember the quote, but, uh, but basically that we're building, um, you know, an infinite waiting room, um, in a system like that, rather than, um, having an actual emergency room where people are treated. And so, so it's a, it's a constant debate because we have limited resources and, uh, you know, and I, and I think that, while tiny house villages are are great, I mean there is there is a point where you know you're building sort of Hoovervilles all over the city, and if you invest in that instead of housing, then you know it, you get you get the you know infinite waiting room. That's interesting because I mean New York City really is the opposite sort of example of 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 how to approach homelessness. Right? They have a right to shelter law in New York City, which basically says that the city's obligated to make sure that there is inside shelter for um for all homeless people and and therefore that's where all of the emphasis goes whereas we have kind of more of a a housing first uh model or approach that we've adopted in Seattle and I do think maybe not even New York but Portland is sort of our cautionary tale here right i mean frustration over proliferating encampments in Portland and garbage and crime and all of the st- other stuff that people associate with some of the some of the more troubled encampments has led to a ballot measure proposal to redirect 75% of, of their regional homelessness funding to immediately start building things like tiny home shelters and other forms of shelter. And along with that, to then ban all outdoor camping, right? All, all unauthorized encampments. And that ballot measure is now I, I need to check. I haven't checked in the last couple of weeks, but there's a there's a legal battle over whether it can go onto the ballot or not with the kind of the establishment in Portland trying to stop it. But if it makes a ballot, it likely will pass. Right. And I don't think that's a good policy outcome. But I think that's the, the, the sort of cautionary tale or danger for us here is that if public frustration over um, encampment related problems 
reaches a tipping point, we could see that something like that emerge here as well. Well, we had that in Compassion Seattle, a ballot measure that didn't end up making it on the ballot, but that Bruce Harrell, the mayor, said he wants to implement as policy. Um, he said that he wants to bring on 2,000 new shelter beds um, in the first year of his administration. And he claims that uh, he's going to be announcing something very soon that, you know, will will somehow add up to 1,000 new shelter beds. Now, I don't know how that exactly is going to work since um, – you know, city council certainly hasn't funded a thousand new shelter beds um, or anything close to it. And, uh, you know, I don't see a thousand new shelter beds open and I, opening and I follow this pretty closely. So but that is that is kind of the direction that this mayor, you know, in this administration ran on um, and is trying to implement on his own uh, in the absence of ballot measure. I, I would. Well, first of all, I would I would contest your characterization of Compassion Seattle. I think Compassion Seattle was 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 a a thousand times more sort of, you know, touchy feely than, than the, the, the measure that's being proposed in, in, in Portland. Compassion Seattle was sort of a, a kind of vague, nebulous sort of eye in the beholder proposal. And I think there are some valid criticisms of that, 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 the, the, the vagueness of it, but it was. It had some really specific stuff. It said 2,000 new yeah, 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 beds and 12% of the city's budget it has to ban, be spent on. It didn't ban encampments and it didn't mandate sweeps or, you know, I mean, contrary to some of the, you know, more histrionic, um, you know, assertions about it from the, from that side. But obviously, you and I both know Compassion Seattle was, was wildly popular. If it had been on the ballot, it would have passed overwhelmingly, right? And, and, um, um, so I do think, I, I, I think Compassion Seattle pr- presented a workable framework where you could have gotten good policy outcomes out of it. In, in a way, I don't think this Portland version is the right sort of policy approach. But, uh, but, uh, my point being, I think, there's a a, a a risk here in that not being able to demonstrate tangible progress like what just happened in Woodland Park is going to push public frustration into negative into negative places and that's what we need to to watch out for now i i to Erica to your point that we're pitting shelter against housing i agree like that's not where we want to we we want to end up going and i think there's a potential here, if people play this right, that we can use the fact that we're sheltering more people in the short to midterm to then go back to get the resources that you and I both agree we need if we're really going to sustain um, increased efforts to address our encampment problem. I mean, I think one thing about yesterday's photo up that you know, that is really getting lost too, is that, you know, this is not, I mean, although Bruce Harrell, um, Seattle Times quoted him saying this is an unprecedented approach. And I quoted him saying that we don't do sweeps in Seattle. Sweeps don't exist. And anybody who says that is wrong. And, you know, and Harrell said that he believes in faith, hope, and love as an approach to encampments. I mean, this is all, this is all theater because we don't have more shelters right now. This didn't put more people in shelter. It put different people in shelter than would have been in shelter through other processes. And um, and this is not an unprecedented approach. I mean, Just Care started doing this, you know, much more expensively and long term um, during, you know, at the very beginning of the pandemic. It's a program that, you know, sort of did individualized outreach to people, got to know them and put them in hotel based shelters um, and, you know, provided services. And these are people with very high acuity needs that were, you know, causing, you know, what what Sandeep would describe as disorder downtown. 
Um, and so, you know, I, it just, it felt, uh, you know, there was a lot of clapping and a lot of nodding and a lot of smiles yesterday, but I'm just really not sure that this is fundamentally anything different than, than what we were doing before. And, you know, when you do a, a supposedly bespoke approach and then at the very end of that approach, shove everybody into one type of shelter, you know, I'm not sure you're really proving your point that all this, you know, sort of performative outreach that happens beforehand. And I'm not saying that's bad. I think that people should, you know, get intensive outreach from people who actually know what they're doing. But then it becomes performative when you just say, okay, let's make tiny house villages rain from the sky so we can have a photo op next week. So you both brought up the need for more housing, the need for more resources, more money, essentially. And according to a blockbuster scoop at KUOW.org this week, uh, there's a looming budget shortfall. The city's talking about raising progressive revenue, but the budget shortfalls that we're talking about are are pretty significant. You know, the size of uh, the city of Seattle fire department's entire budget uh, sort of looming on the horizon. What I'm getting at is, isn't the amount of money that we're really talking about here, it's almost like the third rail that nobody is ever willing to talk about kind of at all. And so it's like, you know, there's a celebration of you know, this kind of band-aid that occurred and no real discussion of money, like which it, which is what it all comes down to. Mm. First of all, David Hyde of KUOW, um, <laughs> Publicola uh, posted about the $34 million shortfall a while ago. Oh, the Blockbuster ago. Scoop, um, Erica, was about the um, budget task force. I don't know if you missed that story, but that's the, the Blockbuster the progressive Scoop. Revenue. I'm looking at yeah. it right now. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I well, just very quickly, I talked to Mark Dones yesterday about this this question of money because um, the homelessness authority, as as we reported on Publicola, um, is is asking for almost a doubling of its budget next year, and that all has to come from the city and county, and mostly from the city uh, because of the way they're structured, you know. And I said, so like, what is the what is the long term plan? Because what Dones said was, this is not even transformative. This is just you know to do a few things around the edges that are you know the the authority's priorities, and you know, and they. They told me, you know, basically, well, all we can do is advocate and get and hope that the people, the elected officials on our governing board advocate for new revenue and for the suburban cities, which are not required to provide any money um, for the homelessness authority from which they benefit, um, try to get them to, you know, maybe contribute a little. But they are kind of in a, in a bad situation because they, the, the authority was set up in such a way that it's only funded by the city of Seattle and King County. King County has been resistant to adding more funding. So it's kind of on the city to, 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 to add. I mean, they're asking for $90 million in new money, you know, of which maybe 60, 70 million would come from the city. So I, in the absence of new revenue, I just don't see how this is going to be sustainable or how they're going to get any solutions in place that make any, you know, visible dent. Sandeep, can I just intervene and say one thing, which is that the, the budget shortfall for next year is whatever you said, like $35 million. But the forecast beyond that is more like 200, you know, over $200 million. Typically, that does go down. I mean, I, you know, that it could be that bad. But a couple months ago, the the city, I mean, without getting in the weeds, a couple months ago, the city was saying it was well over 100 million shortfall. So it, it you know, those those budget revenue estimates in the out years tend to be a little less reliable. Yeah, right. I think but we it, should but do it could... a whole episode on why the city is facing some kind of massive budget shortfall after it's gotten all of this 
federal money and after it's gotten all those kind of m- greater than expected uh, right but a greater than expected jumpstart revenue but it could be even worse than what they're forecasting because of all the supply chain issues you know city light wants to get a new transformer right now not only can they not necessarily even get the part but like how much they're going to have to pay for it that's throughout the whole city so yeah. as a matter of fact not only is this inflation. inflation stuff hitting them hard it could be hitting them much harder than the current budget forecasts even show and Again, like we're talking, you know, I think it's like $260 million shortfall or something like that, like a a few years out, which could be significant. So the city's talking about progressive revenue, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But like that's this is on top of everything else. And and you're saying, hey, the city's uh, not got enough for homelessness. And so I just want to take it back to that. Like, where's this money all going to come from? Sandeep Kashik. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, you're raising a, a, a good and I think really kind of central and important question. Look, uh, Bruce Harrell, our mayor, is going to uh, – he announced that this presser um, that he's going to roll out his sort of strategy or plan for homelessness within the next month. And I'm, I'm very, very interested to, to hear and see what that is because right now I don't know what our – strategy and plan for addressing homelessness is. But one thing I do know is you're right about the point that you're making. And and I will say this is a a a kind of pernicious falsehood, I think, that has been perpetuated by my side of the political divide in Seattle, which is that, oh, we have enough money to address homelessness. If only we weren't so stupid about how we spend it, we could kind of solve this. This goes all the way back to Back in 2016, a previous mayor brought in these national consultants and experts who put out a report saying, you know, Seattle's just really stupid about how they spend their money and we have plenty of resources and homelessness can just go away magically if we're just better about doing that, which was just flat out wrong, right? I mean, the scale of the problem is is extremely large and it's continued to grow over the years um, for uh, lots and lots of reasons um, uh, that have nothing to do with the city of Seattle that are really kind of national and social trends. But um, uh, so I do – I'm really interested to see what the mayor's plan is because uh, from the work I've done in the homelessness space, it's hard for me to see how you could have a long-term sustainable plan that actually reduces encampments and visible homelessness without a significant infusion of new resources. So, uh, I mean, yeah. Sandeep, do you really think it's going to be a significant infusion of re- new resources? I mean, I, don't, I was at the but, press but conference. I'm curious to see what, 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 what it is going to be then, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know what you can do. Uh, 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 you know, there, maybe there are things you can do uh, uh, on the margins, but you know, uh, look, if, if, if you wanted to take what just happened in Woodland Park, right. Months of in kind of more intensive outreach, even though it got all sped up at the end, there was definitely a kind of sustained outreach effort and a and a concerted effort to find people living in that encampment a better, safer, alternative place that they could go into, and apparently which most people accepted and and, and are going to. If you wanted to do that everywhere with every encampment, because Erica, you're absolutely right. The the primary approach to dealing with encampments right now um, is is more a kind of sweeps approach than it is the Woodland Park or Ballard. Oh, you're Commons. not allowed to say sweeps, Sandeep. We don't do sweeps uh, in Seattle. No, we no, do no. We do do sweeps. And, and this is where I totally agree with you that some of the rhetoric coming out of that press conference was really weirdly 
um, not confidence inspiring to me because it was it was performative. It was sort of Seattle City Council level of like you know kind of touchy feely left progressive and rhetorical performative bullshit. For, you know, <laughs> except all the all, all the people there except for one city council member uh, <laughs> right. were uh, what? officials with with the with the executive departments and oh, the mayor's right. We office. are all the Seattle and, City and, Council and now, the apparently. Homelessness like, authority. Like, you know, so so I, I I do agree. I I don't begrudge them taking a victory for the cleanup but i do think they need to be careful about not pushing that that the you know the that quote unquote win too far right because uh you know uh, you you are right that um the primary approach right now and i think the the mayor basically said that at the press conference we're going to continue to do he may not use the term sweeps but but you know we are going to continue to do and can't make cleanups when they're blocking the right of way or or what have you, right? Yeah, I mean the the one that I passed by was was on the sort of edge of uh, of a of a street that is not terrifically busy, but uh, yeah, I mean they they they're doing them all over. I mean I do think and Sandeep, you and I t- talked about this. I mean the the rhetoric that they that both Tiffany Washington, the deputy mayor, and Mark Dones from the authority were using was like you know the fact that so many people moved there. Um, after they had sort of announced the sweep and they made this, what they call a by name list of the people, about 60 people living in the park. The fact that so many people moved there from other places where they were camping was a good thing, is what they said. And, and, and what they meant, I think, was, you know, just that this is a place where you could get resources and people knew that they would have an opportunity to get something they actually wanted. And so they moved to the site. And that's a good thing because it shows that we have good resources. Well, okay. But another way of looking at that is like, uh, people are so desperate that, you know, that they will do absolutely anything to, you know, to get onto the top of a list that is somewhat arbitrary. And if it means, you know, moving across town or moving, uh, you know, down the down the street to Woodland Park or to wherever, they will do it because they know that where they're at, they're not going to get anything. They're just going to get swept. I have a question actually about sweeps and kind of where the city really is based on the rhetoric that you're both speaking about. If you look at Woodland Park itself, originally designed by the Olmsted brothers back in 1902, uh, and if you're familiar with New York City history, of course, Olmsted is the guy who designed Central Park back in the 1850s. And the Olmsteads had this idea of parks as a certain kind of public space that would lead to sort of middle class uplift. You'd have Irish immigrants, you know, coming to New York City to work in factories, and they can go and sort of quietly contemplate statues uh, and other art and kind of improve themselves in this pastoral environment. But the true history is that, of course, Central Park and all of these spaces were always contested. The park itself was um, basically like removed all these low income folks who were living there. There was all these like bone boiling plants that were also removed. And it was a big real estate speculative investment for all the folks that like made a whole bunch of money, uh, you know, off of having buildings now near this wonderful park, right? What I'm wondering is, do we have a similar kind of split today still here in Seattle with two very different visions of what these public spaces are for? On the one hand, the Erica C. Barnett's of the world, homelessness advocates saying, look, if somebody needs a place to to camp at night and they have nowhere else to sleep, then a park is a, is a fine enough space for that. It's not ideal. It would be better if they had housing. But if there's nowhere else for them to go, then they're going to have to sleep in our parks. And the other side of the debate, the sort of Olmsted view, which is this is a space for 
kids to play sports and not middle class uplift, but you know, the, the current sort of bourgeois activities, basic order or whatever. And, you know, no, like these are incompatible spaces. So we have those two competing values, which are which aren't like neither one of them are kind of terrible values, but always ever kind of at conflict. And it seems like it, this press conference kind of papers over that conflict that that the two of you are kind of articulating almost every week. And so my question is, like, have, have we somehow has that has that conversation about a phrase like incompatible spaces, which is something Harold ran on, have we moved past that? Or is that conflict still really at the heart of this debate in Seattle, since there isn't enough money right now, uh, really to house everybody? Well, Central Park in particular, and and lots of other Olmstead parks, um, involve the sort of forcible removal of African Americans from spaces that they had occupied they were they were sort of racist actions that involved uh, the removal of you know existing uh, people existing and their gardens and sort of their aesthetics um, for the imposition of this uh, this sort of white upper class aesthetic that you know that I think I, I think we see that those debates happening you know today I mean the Harold sort of saying that this is for Harold who's obviously not white he's black and Japanese American but saying you know this this part these parks are our gyms he kept using the word gyms yesterday and uh, in the press conference and you know in saying we want our children to be able to feel safe playing here and there is you know uh, there is this sort of as you said inherent um you know assumption of conflict between poor people and um and you know, people like us who, you know, want to have their children be able to play here that I think, you know, is not is not necessary. I mean, I, I don't believe that people should be sleeping in parks. But but as you said, I mean, people actually do have to sleep um, and they produce trash. And if they're not given places to sleep and throw away trash, then you see people sleeping and you see trash. And so I, I don't think there are as, you know, as uh, as in conflict necessarily as as that that idea you know suggests um at one point actually um they the uh, the city was with woodland park considering creating a space in, within woodland park where people could be temporarily if they couldn't get everybody into shelter um with this particular action they didn't end up needing it but uh, but that was one idea was like let's let's create you know essentially a campground um and you know we don't do that so it's it's sort of random yeah i mean i think I, I I think that conflict is unavoidable. And in fact, look, look, let's be really clear about this. I've, I've been involved in the last few mayor's races in Seattle, pretty directly involved in those races. And you know what? The biggest single determinative issue in every one of those mayor's races was it was camping in parks where the the kind of tone deaf – sort of clueless tone deaf left candidate sort of did this sort of no sweeps and oh and sort of played to the Twitter left about this. And we came back and said, you know, um, you know, this idiot is going to allow unlimited camping in parks. And you know what? It's a debate, but it's a one sided debate because in Seattle, that's a 70 30 split where people are like, we want you we want our parks to be usable and accessible by 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 all and not turn into to to encampments and and so i do think that conflict is is real and inevitable it's 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 a big part of the reason why bruce harrell is the mayor and but sandeep uh, that's political rhetoric that is created by pundits it's not political because it's a a fundamental i'll tell you why it is well 
Okay, but our enca- our our parks have not turned into encampments. I'm out at Green Lake quite a bit. Um, I see tons and tons of people. I mean, you can't find parking. There are so many people wanting to go to Green Lake and spend time there, even though there has been an encampment there for the better part of two years. So to suggest, I mean, when people say, oh, my God, our parks have all been overrun by, you know, by piles of needles and, you know, human feces everywhere, that is rhetoric that does not comport to the truth. So like when people like you are out there making, you know, making campaign statements for people and crafting campaigns that will be effective with like, you know, red meet voters who like to be scared by television news um that <laughs> is that is just rhetoric oh, i mean it's, it's based in, it, it's based in the truth of, of of a large number of homeless people who are forced to exist in public spaces because we don't provide places to go but it is not accurate to say for example that green lake park and woodland park are an encampment there are thousands of people there that was, use that uh, park uh, every day look it's it's gone now right i mean they the the green lake the encampment in green lake which was itself quite sizable uh w- was removed you know m- months ago but for the, almost the entirety of the pandemic there was a sizable and growing encampment there that did become problematic and as i said earlier in this 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 episode if you can go back and and read the seattle times story about it where they're quote talking to actual encampment residents at green lake who are saying it was pretty scary and like they were afraid to leave their tent because their shit would get stolen and you know i mean that's a little bit different than like oh my god our children are, are stepping on needles and getting you know infected with diseases which is which is the kind of rhetoric that happened that that wins campaigns well, that, it's that, not well that it's that not about campers being afraid of being vulnerable because they are vulnerable and encampments do become problematic especially when they last for a very long time and people aren't offered services they were like but you know I'm not denying big fires and there were piles of needles and like you know, I mean, I mean that 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 wasn't rhetoric. That was sort of the the the, the reality of some of what was going on in that. I, I wonder how much you actually went out there. I've been I've deep. been at the you know I I don't live very far away from there, and I have been out to Green Lake. But I, I will tell you, you know, my wife used to every day kind of go do the walk around Green Lake and kind of stop doing it during the pandemic, in in part because that whole. Woodland Park access road got shut down, so it became much harder to kind of go over to the park. But in in part because it's just not that pleasant to walk, to kind of walk around and be like – it wasn't even a public safety thing, but it's a sort of a quality of life thing. Like who wants to have a, a nice walk in the park to – and but you run across people shooting up or like you know and and there were needles and there were fires Sunny, and there like, were garbage it, and you know that of course just there was were reality. fires people have to stay warm during the I mean like well, the okay, idea that but, like oh my god why didn't they just do us all the favor of freezing to death I mean well, my god we had to look at these fires right but it's a fundamental. Look, I mean, I, I, you may say I know, and the left says, "Oh, you're 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 you bourgeois reactionary, you know, heartless, you know, dickheads." Like, how dare you be at all kind of upset that the fact that, like, you know, your primary park space is now kind of, um, uh, you know, not as pleasant a place to visit as it used to be who do you think the thousands of people are that continue going to green Lake? i mean i encourage you go there you know if it gets nice later go there today thousands of people out there and and there's not a big encampment there right and i but 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 before (laughs) i went out there many times and there was mounting complaints you know there are tons uh, of people what but sandeep (laughs) 
Sadeep. Yes. I mean, (laughs) if you are honestly complaining that Green Lake (laughs) is too dangerous and scary for people of your type and, you know, your class and whatever to go to, I don't understand why you live in a city. Again, you are alighting the sort of crime and public safety thing with the quality of life thing, right? I mean, there, I, 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 Somewhat I'm agree with you that that that, you, that, you that it's probably less about that are out there. It's probably less about though. I think some people did have public safety concerns, but it's probably less about oh my god, I'm going to get assaulted if I walk around Green Lake. But it's more like, man, if I walk around Green Lake, you know, it kind of I'll have to see a homeless. person. Well, you oh know, my I, god. yeah, I, I see a, a pile of needles or a burned out area or like a big pile of garbage. Like, I don't want to go to walk around the park to look at a big pile of garbage. Like, you know, I don't think that's well, that Sunny, weird. Then you should support, for, for you should support actually, like, so, you should support providing garbage service to people who have no choice <laughs> oh but to God. create waste. I think we should. Just like I, everybody else. I think we should. Fi- Your garbage I, disappears I, I, and that's wonderful. I think the better. But when you live in a park, you don't have the choice. I mean, I, I right, like, but, but, I, I just, and, and we both agree that living in parks is, is not a very good solution and so i would like to find a a a way that we can build the capacity so that we can clean up those sorts of encampments and get people inside faster well i think i think as a very first step providing garbage service when you know when you and i guess you you know i don't want to bring your wife into this because she's not here but (laughs) but you know when you are offended by the by the notion that human beings produce garbage um you know then provide provide them with some garbage service because frankly that is the only reason that you and i don't have you know a pile of garbage six stories high outside where we live right now so i i just don't I, i i don't find that a credible complaint because uh-huh. we don't give people any alternative. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're just not, I, I'm just, this is why the left will continue to lose every mayor's race, you know, going forward. As long as the position that you and your, and, and your, you know, kind of, kind of Twitter buddies are like, we should, that, provide that, garbage and bathrooms to people. Yeah, I'm, that, I'm pretty. We should, I'm actually we, pretty we, pretty we solid on that one. I think you know, people deserve places to, tolerate to throw large away their stuff and, and go to parks the and the and the and the, and, the, and you know again. I think I think we need a plan so that we can, uh, uh, you know, um, compassionately and sustainably get people inside out of sort of public spaces like parks. That I think people have a legitimate. If you're going to live in a dense urban city. Having green spaces and, and and places to to kind of recreate and bike and walk around or do whatever the fuck people do like is actually important, right? And what happened during the pandemic when we shut down essentially all encampment cleanups was these kind of encampments in spaces like those in those green spaces proliferated to the point that it became um a a, a major political issue and well, i think then, then i, I think did play sandeep, into the that, outcomes of the last elections that we had and and i suspect sandeep that you know an, an adequate response to homelessness you know for for bruce harrell to roll out from your perspective would be to dramatically accelerate sweeping people from place to place so that they don't have time to get settled in and accumulate piles of trash because nobody takes their trash away and uh, you know and uh, and and 
you know, become visible to people like you, you know, who want to use the park and want parks to be pristine um, Disneyland's without any, you know, visible signs of poverty or the challenges of, you know, living in a city that doesn't provide for its homeless people. Like if it's, if it's just more sweeps, which, which we're already doing, you know, the city has dramatically accelerated encampment removals. Um, It seems like that would solve all the problems that you have expressed Uh, that you have with homelessness in public. Yeah, that's not, you're, you're mischaracterizing what I'm saying. I will say, but, 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 but not entirely. Because I will, I will own this. I think there are certainly, um, a, 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 there are certainly times when sweeping an encampment is better than the alternative. You know, is it, it produces a better result than the encampment. The, the argument that are sweeping encampments sort of only like- produce negative outcomes, and all you do is move people around, and nothing good comes out of it. You know, which is a sort of mantra. Of you know the the kind of you know Erica Barnett ditto heads, uh, I I think is wrong. I think there are yeah, there are I, times I when when, in, when encampments become really problematic for- and where it, look it's it's a shitty it's a shitty alternative. But in the absence of something better, sweeping that 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 encampment and breaking up to the kind of nodes of you know criminality and antisocial behavior that have dealt, developed there is is better than leaving them there to 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 fester and grow and and become worse now again the way out of this i don't think in the long term that is a good or sustainable policy right i think relying primarily on sweeps i agree with you is not where we want to be or should or, or should be and so i would like to see the city develop a sustainable long-term plan where we can, you know, get to a, a place where we're actually bringing people inside and closing down encampments in a way that that is offering people a better, safer alternative place to go for people who are residing in those encampments, a better and safer alternative place to go. But you know what? You know what we always do, which is we do the first thing and we don't do any of the second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh, eighth, twentieth things. We just don't. I mean, we, we're not investing in a way that will be meaningful. I mean, right now, honestly, I feel very hopeless about what's going to happen with homelessness in this city and in this region, because all the movement is towards sweeps and sort of performatively saying, here is something that, you know, that that your elected officials have done for you, people of Seattle, by, you know, removing uh, 80 people from one park. I have, um, I have not given you know, up on... Within the existing shelter system that has not been, you know, meaningfully improved upon or expanded in any way um, at any point. So I, you know, I just, it doesn't give me a lot of hope when, when I hear people say, you know, yes, we need to, we need to, first of all, accelerate sweeps and do that a whole lot more, but then also let's create this whole new system at some point because the system at some point never happens. Well, first of all, I think your pessimism is entirely sane and rational. I, I, you know, uh, uh, given, given our, our, our history and the scale of the problem and the inadequacy of the resources and the problems that we face and the, you know, the ideological divides, there's a whole series of reasons why it's, it's difficult, uh, and, and maybe even, um, and daunting to make progress on homelessness. That said, I have not given up that if we can in the next year, and right now, look, the, the, the public in Seattle is in a really sour mood and have, have been in increasingly sour mood about things like homelessness and crime. And there is a feeling over the last two years that things really went in the wrong direction on those. It, 
that coinciding, by the way, with the ascendancy of the left wing of the city council and their kind of permissiveness approaches. And, the, and also and the coinciding, stop, the sleep stop. by the way, with now, the, I do think the global come back pandemic. And, 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 and there's a lot of support right now for the mayor and for what he's doing because he uh, – not just in things like Woodland Park, but frankly for – that he's cleaning up and, you know, or sweeping or whatever term you want to use encampments elsewhere. But I think if over the next six to 12 months, you could demonstrate actual visible progress on encampment cleanups. I think then it opens the door to us going to the voters and asking for more resources so that we can build capacity, both in terms of shelter and housing, which is to me, the long-term sustainable way to address the problem. Yeah, I think I think you're dreaming. I think Maybe. if everybody gets sort of sort of moved around and every time somebody, you know, there's a mass of complaints, um, the encampment <laughs> disappears. I think people I think people will start believing that it's not a problem anymore. And so why should we put any money into it? I mean, oh, my God, I, you're, I just, you're turning me into the touchy feely lefty optimist. And you're you're the you're the cynical. I, just, I don't think <laughs> you're the cynical. well, I, I am cynical about this because yeah. I think that elected leaders are very cynical and I think they promise, you know, they promise sweeps. They promise to, you know, to, quote unquote, clean up the problem. So, you know, nice, good, respectable people don't have to look at, you know, the suffering that that, that that the system causes and that you know inequality causes and uh, and once it's cleaned up it's no longer a pressing concern if you don't have to see any homeless people then you know why why should you care that they have been driven underground it's interesting because um this uh, first of all i think that the the sort of stark contrast here between vis- you know concern about visible homelessness and kind of a homelessness advocacy position is kind of a false dichotomy in terms of where people actually are in the city of Seattle. People are multidimensional and complex. And if, if those are the two poles for the two of you, I don't think it's, it's, it's the real poles in the city of Seattle. My son's best friend growing up family are on the, the left homelessness advocacy side of things, but their kid gets poked by a needle at Green Lake and had to worry about the possibility of HIV and other things for quite a while, their their positions, if you were to interview them, would be still, I think, much more on the kind of liberal side. But when we talk about the sort of incompatible spaces, there's a whole range of things that we're actually, um, that we're actually talking about. You know, they obviously thought those needles were incompatible with those other uses. But I did also want to ask about just the politics of this, which is we've had visible homelessness, and we're seeing this kind of backlash and what you seem to be saying is that if we if we if we remove these encampments, people will just become callous and not care at all. But it seems like politically, at least, the opposite is true. The more visible it's been, the more backlash we're actually getting. So there seems to be this political argument about visible homelessness somehow being um, necessary for the left to be successful, for us to be able to raise revenue, we need to have visible Boy, homelessness. I'm not saying that at all. Well, that's, that, that, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying that in you, any way, shape, you or form, You certainly are saying that. I'm not. I'm saying... I'm saying that it, I, I was responding to Sandeep's <laughs> claim that if we sweep, 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 yeah. sweep as a first step, then people will suddenly be, you know, open their hearts and their arms. You to said people it, and their you said if we remove stable. if we remove encampments, people will become callous. And I'm saying people yeah. are actually I, becoming callous now, like in, in, in I, some I think, sense. Okay, well, I, I, think I, I think you're mischaracterizing a little bit right. what I said. I mean, right. you're, you're pulling right. a quote out. I mean, it, I, I what I what I intended to say or what I meant by that was that. If we remove 
the visibility of homelessness, because I would say people are not um, concerned about visible homelessness who are on Sandeep's end of the spectrum. They are concerned about the visibility of homelessness. If we sweep everybody as far underground as possible and to the, that it becomes, you know, more invisible, um, people will be less likely to see homelessness as a problem that requires money to solve because it will not be as visible. Yeah, and, and I, I see, and I, I actually think... And that is not an argument. Sorry, I just want to respond to something David said. Yeah. That is not an argument that homelessness is good. The implication seems to be if we remove it, people will become more callous. And when it's more visible, people are less likely to be callous and they're willing to open up their purse strings right. and help address it. No, I think they're callous both ways. Yeah, that's probably but right. I think that, but I, I, think yeah. I think people are yeah. pretty callous regardless because yeah. I think that people don't really care about people in situations that they don't Not understand. if it costs them I mean, money, well, right? I, I mean, so they I, care I insofar more, as it doesn't cost them any money. I have more optimism <laughs> about your typical Seattle voters that apparently both, both both of you do. Look, I, I, I think there's lots of reasons to be pessimistic about our ability to really make long-term sustainable progress on the homelessness question. I get that. That said, I, I, I think David, you're right. The, these voters are, are, are a lot like your friends. They want to do the right thing and they want a compassionate response to homelessness at the same time that they also want a quality of life. And they don't want their kid to step on a needle, right? I mean, I don't think those two, two things are 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 incompatible. And what they're asking their leaders for is a strategy or a plan that will actually deliver visible, tangible progress. They haven't been seeing that. The problem seems to have been getting noticeably worse in recent years and that's put them in a bad mood. I, I you know, I think that that has exposed the unsustainability of a kind of absolutist no sweeps, no and you know that the that the left adopted, you know, piggybacking off the pandemic stuff, the left got their way finally on that and it and it kind of blew up in their faces. Um but that doesn't mean that those voters are kind of, you know, out of sight, out of mind, heartless cynics. I think there's a there's a if we can go to them and say, give us these resources and we'll deliver results and convince them of that, they'll give us a resource. I mean, you know. But Sandeep, we had an ex- we, we were talking earlier about Compassion Seattle mm-hmm. and you say it was, you know, touchy feely, but intentionally, very intentionally. And, you know, the Downtown Seattle Association talked about this at the time and supporters talked about this at the time. It required zero new dollars. And that was an extremely intentional decision not to ask for more money because the contention of that and the, you know, and the assessment was that it would pass with voters um, the, the contention was that we don't need any more money. We don't need any more money. And what we're doing is just wrong. And if we spend existing dollars better, we can solve the problem. So I, what I hear you saying, what I hear you saying is that those same voters and the polls that, you know, that, that people, I, I don't know if you did a poll, but that people were doing that said that voters would not support uh, more funding for this stuff were wrong. And that in fact, people would support more money if you asked them today. And I just, if that is what you're saying, I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, I, I think people like to be convinced that they don't, that they can, you know, sort of check a box and say, I want to solve homelessness as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Compassion Seattle was, so I, I had nothing to do with the actual campaign for Compassion. I was an outsider to it, but Compassion Seattle was in fact an implicit invitation for a significant tax increase on business. Uh, now, the proponents, 
did make the argument publicly, oh, we don't need new revenue and oh, we have all this jumpstart revenue coming in, this new new revenue from the jumpstart tax that had been passed right before the pandemic. And, 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 and you know, but uh, as I've said earlier, you know, or, or that we have sufficient resources anyway to address homelessness, we're just, you know, implement the Compassion Seattle plan. And that is, that was kind of BS, right? I mean, that wasn't kind of BS, it was BS. Like, we do need more revenue. But I, I will tell you, right when Compassion Seattle first got got floated, a member of the city council called me up and said, Sandeep, why should I not take this as an invitation to raise taxes on business? And my response to that person was, that's exactly what it is. Despite what they're saying publicly, I think you should, your smart play would be to bless this thing, cost it out. How much is it going to cost to actually implement the behavioral health and all of this new shelter and housing and cost that out and then raise taxes and do it. And and the business community, they may grumble, but if you deliver that. I mean, they actually literally sued the last time. Well, the city I, tried I agree. To raise that's stupid on their part. I, I was dumb. I, I, so, I, you know. so we know their behavior. And but, I think but, you're, but they would have got, you know, at the end of the day, like what they really want to describe me an optimistic that, scenario. That's why the business community supports our friend uh, running Just Care, the program that, that you often cite about, about uh, you know, how some of these big encampments have been cleaned up and people brought inside. It's a very expensive program, but the business community loves it because it shows visible progress on their street. At the end of the day, that's really what, if you, you know, if you care about downtown recovery and you're kind of one of those sort of sort of downtown people, what's really driving you crazy is, you know, Third and Pine and, you know – tents everywhere and people smoking fentanyl in the bus shelters and blah, blah, blah. And yes, they're going to start off saying we don't want to pay more taxes. But if you extract more taxes out of them and clean that situation up, at the end of the day, they will live with that. I am so um, down the rabbit hole of of cynicism and sort of despair at this point that the idea uh, of, you know, sort of demanding that big business pay their fair share in taxes and solve this problem is like nine steps down the line to me. Because right now, I am not convinced that people in Seattle, by and large, you know, uh, care about this in the way that they would need to care in order to actually fix it. Um, and I think that is not the fault of people in Seattle. I don't think people in Seattle are dumb. Like, I don't think, I think that it is largely because of the stories they are told on television, the stories they are told by politicians, the stories they are told by ad campaigns created by political consultants, you know, which if you believe those, I mean, you believe that Seattle is a hellhole that's covered in a blanket of needles and no one can go outside their houses in their single family areas. And downtown is, you know, a festering sore. And I mean, if that is the narrative you're starting with, of course, people aren't going to, you know, support taxing anybody, including biz- big businesses, but much less themselves. And I think that, you know, I mean, not to not to turn this into it's just a media problem, because it is a real problem. There are tens of thousands of people living unsheltered in Seattle. But when when you have an entire political apparatus and media apparatus built on scaring people into thinking their city is a festering hellhole, when, you know, in fact, we had a global pandemic that produced, you know, similar outcomes and similar problems in cities across the entire country. I'm just not optimistic that we're going to get to a point where uh, taxation is on the table. Oh, man, we should definitely take up that topic next week with Erica C. Barnett, political consultant, Sandeep Kashik. I'm David Hyde. You can contact us, direct message us 
at Real Seattle Nice at Twitter. You can also donate. Please donate. We can only do it with your support at Patreon. We have a Patreon account, Seattle Nice at Patreon. And thank you everybody so much for listening. <laughs>